Today's reading is taken from Matthew chapters 11, verses 1 to 24. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles were performed in you, had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, to welcome you back. And could I encourage you as we're starting this new series, we're going to go through Matthew um, chapter 11 to 13 um, in these next few weeks. Um, so could I encourage you to get a Bible out? Um, because unlike Proverbs, um, we will actually go through uh, the text uh, sort of in a fairly systematic way. And so I'm sure it'll help you um, to have the scripture um, before you. But let me pray for us um, as we uh, uh, bow and, and, and seek to listen to God's word. 
Lord, we thank you for your living word. We thank you uh, for what has been revealed here. Lord, we know that it's a it's difficult word. Um, it's difficult words to submit to. And so, Lord, we pray uh, that you would send your spirit to give us hearts that really listen, ears that really listen, and that we might see uh, you, we might hear you, and that we might respond um, to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Making decisions is difficult. I don't know about you, but uh, this is one of the reasons why I'm a lazy traveler. I don't like going somewhere and making all these decisions when I'm traveling. You know, when you're traveling, you have to make basic decisions like this, like, should I take a left or should I take a right? Where should I eat? Right? Should I eat this in this restaurant or in that restaurant? What should I eat for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner? What should we do this afternoon? What should we do uh, this evening? What should we do tomorrow and the day after? And it feels like so much is at stake because all the fun for the year that you're supposed to have is riding on that holiday. I don't like that sort of uh, the pressure. Uh, so I'm a lazy traveler. I'd love to just go to a resort where you know the options are like this one one restaurant and or another restaurant, or maybe uh, they just have buffets, and so I don't actually have to choose until the moment. And the the most stressful decision that I have to make is something like should I go to the pool or should I go to the beach? That's the kind of uh, uh, holiday that I really like. But of course, all those little decisions, as important as they seem at the time, are inconsequential uh, in comparison to some of the big decisions that we've made in our life, like who, who to marry, whether to move to Hong Kong, and many of you are thinking about moving out of whether to move out of Hong Kong. That, those are big decisions. And there are many, many big decisions in life, but there is one decision that is most important. That every other decision will pale in comparison to this one. This is the one about Jesus. Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus? That's the one that will change our life. That's the most important decision that you have to make. And we're going to go through uh, this series in, in Matthew 11 to 13. And up till, up till this time, in the first 10 chapters of Matthew, Matthew has shown who Jesus is. You know, he's told us how he was born and what happened. You know, he's told us uh, the stuff that Jesus did, how he healed the sick and he even healed a, a dead person, right? And, and how the, he drove out demons and the kingdom of God was coming. And in chapters 11 to 13, in some ways, that should be, in some ways, a highlight, the highlight of Jesus' ministry as people respond to Jesus. And you would think that they would respond by submitting to him. But that's not what happens. As we'll see in these few weeks, in chapters 11 to 13, people reject him. They plot against him. And even those, even those who receive the message of Jesus with gladness, come to doubting. And we see that as we see in, 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 our, in our reading with John the Baptist. John the Baptist starts doubting Jesus. And remember, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. Remember the story of when Mary was pregnant and, and she go, Mary goes to Elizabeth. Uh, John the Baptist, who was in Elizabeth's womb, jumps in joy, right? And he probably grew up hearing the story of his miraculous birth, how he, Elizabeth wasn't able to bear any child. You know the story. You know, he probably grew up with that story. Not only that, but the story of Jesus, his cousin, uh, the miraculous story surrounding his birth. 
And when we see John the Baptist ministering, he seems very aware of his role in comparison to Jesus, in, in, in his role in pointing Jesus, pointing to Jesus, to the people who come to find him in the desert. Remember, this is what he says. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come someone who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his thrashing floor, gathering his weed into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Remember that? And when Jesus actually comes to find him in the River Jordan, he says, no, 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 you shouldn't baptize me. I shouldn't baptize me. I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me. And it's only when Jesus commands, he relents. And could you imagine what went through John the Baptist's mind when he sees the heavens open up? When the Holy Spirit comes in the form of a dove rests on Jesus. And when this voice, booming voice from heaven comes and says, This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. What a day that must have been. All his role is now being fulfilled. But as we see in chapter 11, John the Baptist doubts Jesus. He sends his disciples to ask, are you the one? Or should we wait for somebody else? You might ask, what happened? What happened to John the Baptist? How did he come to this point? Well, take a look. It's in verse 2. It's a little line. He's in prison. He's in prison at the moment. He was there because he did the right thing, right? He did the right thing. He was calling, peop- uh, calling people for repentance, to turn a- and purify themselves for the coming of the Messiah. And he did that, I'm sure, to Herod Antipas. Uh, he, in the tradition of the Old Testament prophets, he went to Herod Antipas and criticized him for what he did. He seduced his, brother, uh, uh, his brother's wife and ends up marrying, uh, marrying her. And for that criticism, he's paying the price. He's sitting in prison. And later on, as you know, he'll be executed for this. He must have thought, If Jesus is the promised Messiah, why is this happening? Why is this happening? He's supposed to come with the winnowing fork in his hand. He's supposed to come with the burning, the unquenchable fire that burns the chaff away, that will clear out, that will come with judgment against evil people. But as he's sitting there, I'm sure in the prison cell, he hears of Jesus' ministry. There's no condemnation towards Herod. There's no condemnation of the Roman Empire. He's hanging out with prostitutes and sinners. What's happening? Are you the one, he asks. And I'm sure you've asked a version of this question yourself, right? If Jesus is the Messiah, if Jesus is the King, you might ask, well, why is the coronavirus still allowed to ravage the world like this? Why is it that my cousin is dying with cancer? If Jesus is the Messiah, dot, dot, dot. I'm sure you've asked that question. And what this text tells us is actually that's okay to ask that question. John the Baptist 
doubted in this way. And people of the church history, John Calvin, Luther, uh, Charles Spurgeon, C.S. Lewis, all doubted. It's okay to doubt. But what do you do with your doubt? What do you do? Because some people doubt in the laziest way possible, right? They say things like, there's so much suffering in this world, so much evil in this world, and so therefore there must not be any God. And I kind of think, well, that's a good question that you're asking, but are you actually searching for the answer? Or have you just left it there? You've concluded already. Why don't you go to God? Why don't you go to his word? Why don't you pray? Why don't you search out for the answers? And some people say, there's so many religions out in, uh, out in this world, and so Christianity can't be true. Well, why, why can't it? It could be. Why don't you search? Once again, why don't you go to God? Why don't you seek out the answer? Because some people don't want to ask those questions. They, they doubt in the laziest way possible. But do what John the Baptist did. Go out and seek out Jesus. You know, read the scripture, read the Christian literature around it, and you come to us, ask and seek the answers. Because more often than not, there are answers to those questions. And Jesus does not tell John the Baptist off when his disciples come to ask him this question, right? He answers in the most gentle way in verses 4 to 6. The blind have received the sight, the lame walk, the dead are raised. And John would have known immediately that this was a a reference to Messianic prophecy in Isaiah chapter 35. I'll read it for you in verses uh, 5 to 6. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. Yes, not every expectation is fulfilled yet, but I am the Messiah. You know, and then he tells uh, the, the crowd that John the Baptist actually is a prophet. He's more than a prophet. He's the greatest man who's ever lived. You see, it's okay to doubt, but don't linger there. Seek out Jesus. Seek out answers. But hidden in Jesus' answer to that question is actually some astonishing claims about who Jesus is. Let's take a closer look here. Jesus is saying, uh, look, uh, uh, the John wasn't a fickle man. He's not, he's not like a, a reed uh, blowing by, uh, blown by the wind, right? He's a man of principle. He knows what he's doing. He's not uh, a man who's wearing fine clothing, who's found in the palace. You know, he's not great because he's associated with great power and privilege. No, he's a prophet. And Jesus says in verse 9, he's more than a prophet. Well, you might ask, well, why? How is he more than a prophet? Well, he's the prophet that other prophets prophesied about. Other prophets said that he would come. And he quotes Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. He's the prophet who will prepare the way of the Lord's coming. This is what Jesus is getting at. John the Baptist is more than a prophet because he prepared the way for me. He's the one who announced my coming. This is why he's more than a prophet. You might ask, how much more? 
where our Lord answers in verse 11, in our Lord's assessment, he's the greatest who had ever been born until that time. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than uh, David and Isaiah and everybody in the Old Testament. How could that be? It can't be because of his achievements. How could uh, uh, preaching out in the desert be greater than delivering a whole nation of people out of slavery uh, and becoming a nation or uh, or uniting the whole country like David did and becoming the greatest king over Israel, of Israel. It can't be that. John the Baptist's greatness is somehow associated with Jesus, not his achievements. He's great because Jesus is great. He's the one who introduced Jesus and the new covenant and his kingdom And this kingdom makes everything else pale in comparison. All of the Old Testament looked forward to Jesus. That's what he's saying. Even the angels, Peter says, looked forward to this day, to this message. And John the Baptist is the one who then brought an end to the Old Covenant and introduced Jesus and his kingdom. This is why in verse 13, all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. The old covenant ends. And this is also the reason why we, even the least in the kingdom of heaven, is now greater than John the Baptist. That includes us. Think about that. John the Baptist merely introduced Jesus. He didn't see the whole full picture of who Jesus was and what his kingdom would look like. Would look like. But those who trust in Jesus now are are, are made citizens of this great kingdom that will last forever, that will defeat sin and death, right? Uh, We have the Holy Spirit then living in our lives, um, in our hearts. We are born again. We have direct access to God. We're part of the kingdom that will last forever. Even the least in this kingdom now is greater than John the Baptist. Church, do you see that we are in a much privileged position than even John the Baptist, even Moses, even David? All those people looked forward to the fulfillment, and we are the fulfillment of that prophecy of all of the Old Testament. Let me ask, uh, who am I complimenting if I say something like this? A lot of people, I think this is true, I mean, a lot of people say that Barney is really good looking. And many, many people say that he looks just like me. <laughs> I'm not complimenting Barney, right? I'm complimenting myself. You know, in point, and, and this kind of thing that Jesus is doing, in, in, in pointing to John's greatness, he's not actually, he, he's pointing to his greatness. The least in his kingdom is greater than the greatest man who had ever been born up to that time. Because he is great. Because he is God who has become a human being. He's the one who brought the kingdom of God that will last forever. Kingdom of God that will be more glorious than we could possibly imagine. He's pointing to himself. And if he is that great... If he is who he says he is, we need to make up our minds about him. This is the greatest decision that we can all make in our life. 
and sadly, some people will oppose him. He says his kingdom has been forcefully advancing since the days of John the Baptist in verse 12. Uh, verse 12. That's a, uh, as you can see in the footnote, that's a slightly different translation, but I think, I think that's the right one. It's been coming in power, right? As Jesus has come, uh, the, the demons were driven away, people were healed, and the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. But it has not swept away all the opposition. Violent people like Herod, like people still today, still oppose Jesus. Because even if this uh, kingdom is forcefully advancing, it will not force its way to your heart. You have to make that decision. You have to make, uh, you have to let Jesus come in to be your Lord and Savior. And the thing is, some people seem to refuse Jesus no matter what, what the evidence is, no matter what Jesus does. In the words of 90s hip-hop artist Notorious B.I.G., haters are going to hate. You didn't expect it, did you? <laughs> Jesus compares that generation to these children who just who don't behave in, the, in any logical way. They just do the opposite. Take a look at verse 17. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, but you did not mourn. They're not behaving in any logical way. They're like Barney in his worst days. You know, imagine Barney some, saying something like this to me. Papa, I, 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 I want some happy song. So I take out my uh, phone and go to my Spotify list and I, I play the happiest song. Maybe something like, if you're happy and you know it, and I just make, you know, if you're happy and you know it, I clap, I make the faces. And Barney goes, hmm. I, yeah, I don't, I don't want that. I'm, he's not happy. He goes, Papa, I, I, I want a sad song now. And so I uh, take out the, the saddest song, the saddest children's song there is, uh, London Bridge is Falling Down. I mean, what a terrible song, right? The London Bridge is falling down, the bad infrastructure causing damage and pain to this, the, 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 the people. He, but he, you know, I sing it in the saddest possible way, but he doesn't cry. He doesn't mourn. He goes, up no. Jesus says that generation was like that. Right? Um, he says, uh, verse 18, that John came as an ascetic. He didn't eat good food, right? He, he ate very minimum. He ate locusts and honey, and, and, and he didn't drink, right? And they say, well, he's crazy. He said, he's crazy. Why is he like that? And then Jesus comes. Jesus comes eating and drinking. And you know what people said to him? Well, he's a drunkard. He's a glutton. He's a friend of sinners. Why is he like that? Well, Jesus says, what's he supposed to do? What is he supposed to do? You're not behaving logically. This isn't evidence. What John the Baptist and Jesus, well, they're acting wisely. The wisdom is proved by their deeds. They're, they're, they're doing what they're supposed to do. But they're proving their, uh, um, their foolishness by rejecting Jesus, rejecting the one who came. Haters are going to hate Do you know people like that? Do you know people like that? They ask a question about Jesus, you answer it. You ask another, they ask another question, you answer it. But they refuse to believe. They find other reasons. It's not the lack of evidence. It's something in their hearts. Jesus names three city, cities, 
right? Next, cities in Galilee, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Capernaum is the city where Jesus did most of his ministry. I mean, these cities had seen hundreds of miracles in Jesus' lifetime, and yet they still did not believe. Jesus is saying it's not the lack of evidence. It's not that there is not convincing evidence. Something in their hearts is making them not trust in Jesus. A preacher said, unbelief is not the absence of faith, it's presence of something else. And that's true. You know, if you are doubting, and if you're not a Christian listening to this, could I ask, could you examine your heart? Because uh, could you just say, uh, uh, could you just be honest? You know, what is in the heart that's making you resistant to belief? And once again, we need to ask this question seriously, take this question seriously, because it is the most important question. How you answer this question will determine uh, who you are. The kingdom of God has come. We need to make this decision. Remember, if, because Jesus is so great, the one who introduced Jesus was the greatest, became, uh, considered, was considered the greatest man who had ever lived until that time. And if we let Jesus in, we are transformed uh, into the subjects of the greatest king, citizen of the most glorious kingdom, kingdom that is reversing the effects of sin and death, the one that will last eternity. But if we reject him, because who Jesus is, the punishment will be great too. Sodom is mentioned in verse 24. It was a wicked city. Unmentionable things were done there. And it was destroyed by the sulfurous fire from heaven. But Jesus says the citizens of Korah and Bethsaida and Capernaum will be punished more harshly than those in Sodom. Well, why is that? Because they rejected Jesus at the face of overwhelming evidence. And I say this with all the fear and trembling in my heart. If you are listening to this, and if you're not yet a Christian, and if you have access to the entire Bible, you to a good church, to friends and family who are Christians who are trying to tell you, to all the Christian literature that's out there, a culture in many ways that encourages belief like this, and you still reject Jesus, I'm afraid that you might actually be punished more harshly than those in Sodom. Many people don't rank unbelief in Jesus as a serious sin. They don't rate it as a sin at all. But Jesus says, I am God who became a human being. I am the one who died for you, who brought this kingdom that will last forever. And because of who I am, your unbelief in me, your rejection of me, is a great, great, uh, great and terrible sin. It's okay to doubt. Of course. But I hope your doubt will lead to heart, uh, uh, actual search for uh, answers, that you will search out for Jesus. And as you search out for answers, I hope you'll examine your heart to, to see what's making you resistant. And when the moment comes, do ask God 
to come into your heart to make you a citizen of his kingdom, you will be greater than John the Baptist. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this text, we're humbled by your greatness and how you make people like us great by calling us your sons and daughters, calling us the citizens of this kingdom that, is, that more, will be more glorious than we can possibly imagine. But we also tremble before you as we think about our friends and family who don't yet know you. Lord, would you work in their hearts that they would come to know you? Would you work in their hearts even now that they would call you as their Lord and Savior? Lord, help us to know who we are, the greatness and the privilege that we have received in Jesus and follow him as our King. And Lord, once again, we pray that our friends would also come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.